There we go. How, is that better? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? All right, good. Oh, it's good to be here tonight. Is everybody having a good time? It looks like everybody is. And uh, it's pretty exciting for me tonight to also have, have you young people here as well. Uh, how many of you are in seventh grade? How many seventh graders here? All right, how many eighth graders? All right, any ninth graders? All right, yeah, good to have you all. I Believe it or not, I was once a seventh grader, and then I was an eighth grader, and then I was a ninth grader. It, it did. It happened to me. I've gotten old. I'm 53 years old, and so I was a little bit nervous, you know, like when we were doing the, um, um, what, what's it called? The shoe bop. Everybody's got the shoe bop, you know, and I, I got out there. I was dancing. This is before he called me out, and and. You can attest to this. I sat down and I think, I think, I think I pulled, you know, <laughs> and then, and then uh, Rich calls me out and I've got to do the shoe bop and everything. And, and you know what? It really makes a difference when people are cheering for you, doesn't it? I mean, like I, I thought I nailed the shoe bop, didn't you? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Okay. Yeah, you too. All right. Yeah. So, so, you know, it really does make a difference when people are cheering for you. When I was in eighth grade, when I was in eighth grade, I was on the football team. I know, you, you could tell I played football, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was on the football team, and um, we were the Woodbridge Seminoles, and, and uh, we were in practice, and uh, defense was practicing against offense, and offense was gaining some yards on us, and, and our defensive coach, Mr. Davis, he, he comes, Coach Davis comes out onto the field, and he's going, you guys, you guys, that offense is running all over you, you got to make a stop, you got to make, he goes, Dominguez, Dominguez, can you make a stop, I was like, yeah, yeah, coach, you can make a stop, Dominguez, you're a mad dog, you're a mad dog, I was, yeah, I'm a mad dog, I'm a mad dog, so the next play happened, and, and like, I tackled this guy, and Coach Davis goes, mad dog, mad dog, Dominguez, I'm like, yeah, yeah, mad dog, mad dog. Another play. I, I, make, I make another tackle, and he's, he comes running out onto the field. He goes, mad dog, mad dog, Dominguez. And he does this. I, I kid you not. He grabbed my face mask. I'm wearing a helmet. He's not. He grabs my face mask, and he goes, mad dog, Dominguez. And he hits his head. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and after that, I was like all over the field. I'm like tackling everybody. Like the quarterback gets the ball. I come running into the backfield. He's like, ah! You know, and I'm tackling everybody. It makes a difference when somebody believes in you. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, you know what? Your parents believe in you. That's one of the reasons that, that you guys are here. I've been, I've been speaking with your parents all week, and, and I've been saying that we've got one goal for coming to a place like this. What's our goal? Love. love. It's, it's, to, it's to become like mad dogs of love, like to just love the way that God has created us to love, to love our families, to love the, the people we work with, to love the kids in our school, to, to love the least of these and the most of these, to love everybody that we can possibly love. God calls us into that. But we've got a problem, right? Right, parents? We've got a problem. What's the problem? Life. life. I mean, life can be tough. You guys are probably discovering that, right, in, 
in seventh and eighth grade and ninth grade, kids talk about each other. They say unkind things. They hurt each other. Uh, school can sometimes be tough. Sports can be tough. All, all those sort of things. Life kind of gets in the way, and sometimes it makes you, it makes you kind of retreat. It makes you not be all that God has created you to be. Not, not dare to love and, and to praise God with everything that you've got. But you know, we of all people as Christians ought to be a people who don't shrink back, who have no fear, because Jesus Christ stared death in the face, and in fact, he took it on. He died for you and for me, and he conquered death. And, and John, one of his apostles, wrote about this in one of his letters like as he's getting older in life, he's trying to encourage Christians, young Christians, old Christians, and he writes to them and he says, dear friends, now we are the family of God. Doesn't it feel like that when we're all together, singing together and being at this camp? Now, dear friends, we are the family of God. But what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, he's talking about Jesus. When the one who, who conquered death, the mad dog of love, when he appears and he returns, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. Do you, do you believe that you're going to be like Jesus? Do you believe that? That's the promise. That's the promise. You and I will be like Jesus because we'll see him. All of life will kind of get out of the way. All the problems, all the sorrows, all that stuff will get out of the way and we will see him as he is. And when we see him, he will absolutely transform us. But guess what? He doesn't want us to wait until then. For John goes on to write that everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. That, that basically means everyone who believes in Jesus, who really believes in him, is transformed. They're changed. You guys are being changed tonight through this camp, through this experience. You may not realize it, but you're being changed. But do you believe it? And that's the question I ask all of you. Do you believe it? You know, you might be surprised to find out that, that a lot of Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus less than they think they do. A lot of Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus less than you might think. But there's also a lot of unbelievers, a lot of people who aren't here at camp, a lot of people who never show up in church, who actually believe in the resurrection more than they think they do. So I, I want to explain this to you. Just track with me for a moment. The whole idea of resurrection, it is all over our world. Everywhere you turn, and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever, we see the stories of resurrection all the time. We see it in fairy tales. We see it in movies. We, 
we see it in all the stories that we so love. It's the key, really, to all good stories. And the way you can recognize when resurrection is, is making an appearance, the way you, you can recognize it is the phrase, who would have thought? You, you find yourself thinking, wow, who would have thought, right? Like, like who would have thought that a semi-pro fighter from Philly would go the distance against Apollo Creed. Yeah, I'm talking about a movie called Rocky. You know, but that's a who would have thought moment. And then, then there's this who would have thought that a, a teenage nephew of a moisture farmer on a barren desert planet, what's the name of the planet? Who knows? Tatooine would become a Jedi Knight and defeat the evil galactic empire. That's the first Star Wars movie that ever came out, really the best. And, and then who would have thought that the fate of Middle Earth would come down to two little hobbits bravely climbing Mount Doom in the heart of Mordor? Now, there's obvious stories where you can see that resurrection, like Beauty and the Beast, right? She, she says, I love you, I love you, Beast, teardrops, and, and he comes to life because of her love. Or, uh, or, or Frozen. What happens in Frozen? Anna comes unfrozen. She comes back to life because her sister Elsa embraces her. She loves her. All of these are, are resurrection stories. Well, I, I want to tell you about one that, that I think is even more true to life because there's all kinds of ways to be dead in life. You can be actually dead in the middle of life. Right, And I don't mean like physically dead, but there are things inside you that can die. And, and I don't think any movie nails it better than Inside Out. I've seen Inside Out. Okay, good. All right, most of you. All right, it is a great movie, and, and I, I just want to encourage everybody to see it. it. It really captures how this happens in life. We remember Riley, right? She's a happy, hockey-loving, 11-year-old Midwestern girl. But her world turns upside down when she and her parents move to San Francisco. Riley's emotions are living inside of her head, right? And they're personified, so you see them as these little characters. And, and at the center of the control room is who? Joy, right? Her emotion, joy. Joy is the predominant emotion in her life. And I believe that that's the way it's supposed to be. That that's how God intended and she's living her life, but then they, they move. They move to San Francisco, and Joy tries to guide her through this difficult, life-changing event. The stress of the move brings sadness to the forefront, and sadness is trying to help Joy help Riley when inadvertently they get swept out of the control room into the far reaches of Riley's mind, and the only emotions left in headquarters are anger Fear and disgust. Remember what I said? How life can make you retreat, make you fearful. And so the whole movie is all about how might joy be restored to the predominant emotion in Riley's life. It's a resurrection story. Isn't that true to life? It really is true to life. What if the resurrection stories that we love are way more rooted in reality than we ever thought possible? 
You know, about 700 years before Jesus, before Easter happened, there was, there was a prophet who dreamed of resurrection. His, his name was Isaiah. Isaiah was like, he, he was like a priest in the temple, right? So imagine your own priest or your own pastor. And, and he had it good. I mean, Israel was at the height of its power. Um, it was full of prosperity. It was a lot like, I think, America in a lot of ways. Um, things were easy for them nationally. And Isaiah's job was actually a cushy job. He got to cozy up to not just one king, but four kings. His ministry spanned a, a great number of years. But in the middle of, of one of those years, Isaiah finds himself in the temple. And in the middle of a worship service, something incredible happens. He encounters God. Maybe for the first time in reality, he really encounters God. And he says it's happened in the year that King Uzziah died, one of the kings. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the, the veil of his robe filled the temple. And angels were, were flying around crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah in a moment saw he saw reality as it is, and he cried out, Woe to me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You ever experienced that in junior high? Kids with unclean lips. <laughs> it's all of us, Isaiah is saying. It's all of us. All in our hearts is this cursing and this anger and this fear and this mistrust. And he says, I'm undone. I'm a dead man. And then an angel from the Lord flew to the altar and picked up a live coal with tongs and took the live coal and touched it to Isaiah's lips. And he said, see, your sin is taken away. It is atoned for. You're clean. And from that point on, Isaiah was God's man. And it didn't matter what was coming at him. He was going to speak the truth of God. And he would stand up against the nation because although everything looked good on the outside, many people didn't care about the poor. Many people lived out injustice. They lived only for themselves and for their pleasures. They were heartless and ruthless in all kinds of ways. And Isaiah spoke and called them to repent, and they wouldn't. And so he began to preach that God was going to bring judgment, that he was going to send them off into exile because he loved them. He wanted them to repent. And in exile, they would learn the lesson and return to the Lord. So all of the book of Isaiah, it's, it's the longest book in the Bible. All the book of Isaiah is just filled with chapter after chapter of, of judgment and preaching against all the evils until it gets to chapter 40 it suddenly shifts to words of comfort. Comfort, my people, he says. Your hard days of labor are over and your sins have been paid for. And the nation is resurrected. Out of the ashes, Israel rises again. But Isaiah, in the midst of this, also spoke of a Messiah. They spoke of Jesus, who, like that nation, would be cut off then he would rise again. Who would have thought? And this is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. 
who has believed our message, right? Who would have thought? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who could have thought God's saving power would look like this? Who would have thought that Jesus, the Messiah, would be unattractive? You know, he was. Like a root out of dry ground, Isaiah writes, a scrawny seedling. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. I mean, he's a junior high kid walking through the hallways and nobody looks at him because there's nothing much to look at. That's Jesus. Nothing in his appearance, Isaiah says, that we should desire him. Now, that's not how you and I would have done it, right? If we were sending a Messiah into the world, he would be really good looking. Like, and that's the way people have often pictured Jesus. Like, here's blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. Do we have him? Oh, there he is. Wow. Boing! Yo! I think rays come out of those eyes and everything. And, and, and that's kind of the old way that he's depicted. Now, he's more a, kind of a muscular Jim Cavaziel kind of Jesus. He's a hunk. I mean, that is a good-looking Jesus. You can take him off now. Bye, Jim. But when it comes to what Jesus looks like in the Bible, the Bible has no comment. And it's not that the Bible doesn't make comment about people's appearances. The Bible tells us that Saul was a head taller than his buddies, that King David was ruddy and handsome, that Rachel had nice curves, that Esther was over-the-top beautiful, and that Absalom had thicker hair than Troy Palomalu. But when it comes to Jesus, no comment. Who would have thought that Jesus would just be some ordinary looking guy? And who would have thought that the Messiah, that it would be in the plan, that he'd be rejected? Isaiah writes, he was despised, rejected by men. But we think, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was popular. People came to him, he healed them. Oh yeah, they loved him for his miracles, but they hated him for his words. When he called them to turn to God in repentance... They turned on Jesus. He was only popular with the least popular, with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and outcasts. They welcomed him. But over and over again, the people who had it all together, they rejected Jesus. And even when they believed in him, they believed in him in secret because they're worried what other people would think. Now, now we, we're not like that, right? We're never worried about what other people think of us, are we? Now, sometimes we are. By the time Jesus was crucified, there were only about 500 people who were truly following him. That's probably less than most of your churches. Who would have thought that Jesus would be rejected? And then after being rejected, that he would take what we deserve Surely he took up our pain, Isaiah writes. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now there are some people who absolutely reject this. The idea that that Jesus would die for our sins. There's a rabbi who, uh, who's on a website called whatjewsbelieve.org, and he says the Bible is clear. As we read in Deuteronomy 24, 16, everyone is to be put to death for his own sin. 
And in Exodus chapter 32, God says, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the son shall not bear the sin of the father, neither shall the father bear the sin of the son. The righteousness of the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon them, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. He says repeatedly, consistently, and without any need of interpretation, the text literally of Isaiah 53 clearly states that the person who sins is the person who gets the punishment for the sin. So the question we must ask in light of the Christian interpretation of Isaiah 53 is, when did God change his mind? If everyone is to be put to death for his own sin, then the only way we can interpret Isaiah 53 to mean the opposite, that Jesus died for your sins, is if God changed his mind. But do you know in the Old Testament, in Exodus 12, it says that when the people sinned, a Passover lamb was sacrificed for them. And in Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, they would take a goat and they would bring this goat in front of all the people and symbolically they would lay your sins, my sins, all our sins on this goat and then they would send it out into the wilderness. It was called the scapegoat. And we might think, oh, it got, it got away. No. Out in the wilderness, it was dead meat. It was going to be killed. It was going to die of thirst or it was going to be eaten by some wild animal. Who would have thought that God would say, I'll be your scapegoat. I'll be your lamb. Jesus came and offered himself for us. But you know, there's the last who would have thought that's the best. And this is the reason why we ought to be able to go through life without life just crushing us. Okay, we're going to get afraid. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to get hurt. But we need to rise again. We need to never give up. Because who would have thought that once dead, Jesus would rise? The disciples didn't think it. They couldn't believe it, even though Jesus told them plainly. But 700 years before it happened, Isaiah saw it. Resurrection. He said it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. It was God's idea. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to get crushed but I'm going to do it because I love you. And he loves you. And though the Lord makes Jesus' life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. You know who his offspring are? That's us. And prolong his days. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know what satisfies Jesus, you, when you believe in him, when, when you believe in him in such a way that it actually changes you, when you have this hope in your heart and people look at you and they say, who would have thought? Who would have thought that this person would really believe in Jesus? But they do, and it makes a difference. See, the reason I said that Christians believe in the resurrection less than you might think is that we often live like we don't believe it. And that's the reason we're here. That's the reason you go to church. It's the reason we gather in Bible studies. It's to keep reminding ourselves that we belong to him. 
that our Jesus is a mad dog of love. And he's moved heaven and earth to get to you so that you need not fear. And when that fear falls away, it's then that we are set free in life to love, to love as he loved. So I'm going to close with one last who would have thought story. It was told by a British artist named Charlie Mackesy. And he tells about a friend of his who's a hospital chaplain. And every time his, his friend would pass this one patient, the guy would give him what's called in England the two fingers. It's, it's, a, it's a very rude uh, gesture. I don't even completely know what it means, but, but uh, you can only imagine. And every time he walked past this guy who's in his hospital bed, he would, he would give Charlie's friend the two fingers. And then one day, he's walking by and he doesn't do it. And instead, the guy goes, Oi! And the chaplain, that's, that's a minister in a hospital, right? The, the chaplain turns to him and says, Yes? He says, Can I have a word? Charlie's friend said, Sure. He said, I know I've been kind of rude, but... I wonder if you could tell me why you wear that white thing, and he's talking about the collar that he wore, and what you believe. So my friend told him, Charlie said, about Jesus, about grace and forgiveness and the love of God, about the relationship you can have with him, all of these things, and that you can pray to him. And he said, well, well how do you pray to him? He said, it's, it's pretty simple, actually. He said, it's like, there you are in your bed, and here's Jesus, right, in, in your chair. And he's sitting there, and, and, and you, can, you can just talk to him. You just imagine he's sitting there, and he's loving you permanently, and he knows you, and you can tell him anything. What would you tell him? The guy said, I, I'd probably tell him that I'm pretty scared. He says, you can tell him. And he does. He says, great. What else would you tell him? That I've messed up my life and I'm sorry. Is it great that that's honest? What else would you say? I don't know. So you can just be silent. That's all right. Just remember he's there. Just, just keep talking whenever you want to. You can listen if you like, but just keep talking. Re remember that you're loved, remember that he died for you, remember that you're free, all, all the basic stuff. He said, thanks. I, I can see why you're a minister. And Charlie's friend then got up and left, and he was there a few days later, and he walked past the room, and the bed was empty. And he asked about the man to the nurses, and they said, I'm, I'm afraid he died two days after you were here. Oh. That's a shame. Yeah, but when you left the, the last time, he, he was really excited to tell us about what you said, and he was real bouncy and, and pleased about this, this Jesus thing. And the chaplain said, oh, that, that's good. And then he started to walk off, but one of the nurses stopped him and said, oh, oh, oh by the way, there's, there's one more thing I, I think we ought to tell you. It's strange. When we found him the morning he died, he... He was found leaning out of his bed. His hips were on the bed and his chest was on the chair. He had reached over and 
wrapped his arms around the back of the chair and, and he died like that. And Charlie said, my friend started weeping because he realized that this guy, that he'd understood the whole thing, that he got it completely in a nutshell. That this thing that we all struggle with all our lives, that maybe you're just waking up to now in, in middle school, but, but we struggle all our lives with all the problems and the issues, that, that he'd understood that through it all, he was loved. And that the reason why he exists was to love and to be loved. And that he could rest his, his whole weight, his fragility, on this Jesus, because that's what you can do. You can put your burden on Jesus, and he'll sustain you, because he loves you. That's what Isaiah said. We all, each of us, have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. That's what being a Christian is about. It's about believing that. And for us Christians, it's to believe it more and more and more. And for those who don't yet believe, to realize that they believe in resurrection more than they think they do. See, all the stories that we hear, they're all resurrection stories, but they ultimately mean nothing at all. They ultimately mean absolutely nothing at all if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But he did. Dear friends, now we are the family of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Amen. Rich is going to come up and he's going to lead us in one more song of worship. And it's a song about sacrifice. It's a song about resurrection. And it's a song about this faith that we have. The lyrics will be up on the screen and you can listen or you can sing along. It's like choose your own adventure. sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. 
when death was arrested and my life began. And all your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. And my shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. And he canceled my debt and he called me his displayed on a criminal's cross and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost but then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand and that's when death was arrested and my And my life began.